Hello, everybody, and welcome to Roar Lions Radio. This is not Bill DeFilippo, and I know the first thing you're thinking when you don't hear Bill's voice, oh, this must be a hockey podcast, but it's not. Bill's just not here today. So this is Nick Pollock hosting the show, usually the <clears throat> second voice of the two, um, but I'm joined by two better people than Bill tonight. Well, kind of better. Um, and that would be Mr. Matt DeBear and Mr. Craig Fritz. Gentlemen, let's start with Matt. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fantastic, and uh, the, the better than Bill is an extremely low bar to clear, and I just get over it. I might even like nick it on the way over, but I think I clear it. Well, actually, my hesitation with better than Bill was you, not well, Craig. Well, So, <laughs> yeah. Craig, more importantly, Craig, how are you doing tonight? Oh, guys. Yeah, you know, I, I cracked a beer. I got an infant sleeping next to me. Um, Bill's not on the podcast. I'm ready to roll. What do we need to do to wake the infant? Um, he just drank a lot of milk, so I'm thinking probably not much would wake him up at this point, that which is like good. A, that sounds like a great life. <laughs> All you got to do to be fast asleep is drink some milk. Yeah. <laughs> I would kill for that. <laughs> All right. So as we, this is actually a podcast that we promised to you, um, would be here last week and we, um, not I wouldn't say sincerely apologize I would say insincerely apologize um that it is coming to you a little late but you know life gets in the way and all that so <clears throat> uh this is going to be the first of a series of podcasts that we'll have leading up to the season where we're going to preview two teams on Penn State schedule per episode going in chronological order so today we'll be starting with Akron and Pitt um Moving forward, we'll actually have some special guests with uh, more expertise on each team to talk about the different opponents, although I'm not sure where we're going to find a Georgia State person just yet. Um, but tonight it'll just be us, um, because frankly, we don't really, we don't know anybody who knows anything about Akron, and we don't want to know anybody who knows anything about Pitt. So we're just going to stick with what we have here. So... <clears throat> We're going to start off with Akron, Penn State's week one opponent. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think of the last time Penn State played Akron, but it wasn't terribly long ago. Matt, do you remember? Uh, I remember playing them at some point during my four years, so somewhere between the 01 and the 04 season, I think. But all of, all the North, Northeast Ohio MAC opponents kind of run together, like Akron, Kent State, um, you know, Teams similar to that are all kind of the same thing in my mind. So um, they have been on the schedule at some point in my lifetime. I'm confident in that. Yeah, I was just say it's they they kind of seem interchangeable with Kent State on the schedule. They just kind of seem like they're always there. But <clears throat> beside the point, uh, Akron coming off a five and seven season uh, didn't quite get to a bowl game. Uh, Terry Bowden will be coming back this year for his, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, sixth year um, in a, what seems to be a slightly weaker MAC conference than normal. Not that the MAC is ever terribly strong, but it just seems like it might be down a little bit this year, um, which should lead to a pretty straightforward opening week game. Um, but Craig has taken it upon himself to become our resident Akron expert. So oh. he's going to tell us all we need to know <laughs> about those pesky Akron zips. So Craig, oh. what do we need to know about them? Okay, so their best player is quarterback Thomas Woodson, who last year actually was really good when he was healthy. Um, 
164 completions, 2,079 yards at a 60% uh, completion clip, 18 touchdowns against only six interceptions. The problem was injuries. Um, He just couldn't stay healthy, missed three complete games, and left their uh, second-to-last game of the year with another injury and then missed the season finale against Ohio. And that basically derailed their season. They, um, he, he obviously a very nice passer. Um, they, they just couldn't get it going after he was hurt initially. Um, so he's really the key. Their offense is going to go as he goes. Um, it's uh, s- such an interesting uh, place to be for Terry Bowden because you can't recruit to a Mac school the way he's used to recruiting, the way he did you know, at his bigger jobs. Um, so the roster is just littered with grad transfers, guys coming in for second, third, fourth opportunities, JUCOs, regular transfers, any way that he can kind of put together a program with guys that maybe didn't consider Akron the first time around. Um, so it's, it's certainly, um, an interesting case study in building a program that was, you know, absolutely atrocious before he got there and has maintained I guess you could call it Mac mediocrity for the last three years of his tenure. Yeah, it hasn't been an easy go for them. Uh, last year, we, like we said, they were five and seven. The year before, they were eight and five, and they won a bowl game. Um, two seasons before that, they were also five and seven. And then uh, his first year there, they went one and eleven, uh, which was preceded by two back-to-back one and eleven seasons. One and eleven seasons right before that, so. I you could say they I mean he's definitely improved the program going from three straight one and eleven seasons to at least five wins in four straight years is uh, pretty impressive progress uh, but yeah I'd, you can really only say that they've treaded water at best yeah I agree um, an interesting side on the defensive side of the ball again um, Chuck Amato's their D coordinator seventy year old uh, Eastern PA native um, still chugging along but. It's the same kind of thing, you know. Maybe their frontline starters can compete at a at a pretty uh, high MAC level, but when they have, you know, they just injuries decimated them at every single level, uh, line linebacker, DB, and they got shredded the last four game of, four games of the year, um, giving up forty one, forty eight, thirty eight, and then I don't know what this nine to three game against Ohio was, but I have no desire to see any film from that. Uh, I strongly disagree, sir. I would very much enjoy watching that. So speaking of the history of Akron, I guess, since since we know that they have played Penn State before, Craig, do you have any idea on what like the uh, series in history looks like between them? So I did, since we were um, a little bit befuddled earlier. I can't believe we didn't remember this. The last time the team last time the teams played was in 2014, James Franklin's first season, and it was against Terry Bowden's Zips in State College, a 21 to three Penn State win. Um, Penn State's five and zero all time against Akron, all games occurring since 1999, which also happened to be the largest margin of victory, a 70 to 24 Penn State win against whatever the Zips are. I mean, they have that silly kangaroo mascot but otherwise um and i also dug a little bit more into their defensive injuries if you guys will bear with me for just a second um this is uh straight from uh bill Connolly's uh, preview at 
football study hall and bill is the best in the biz and he noted that their defense was screwed when nine <laughs> dbs <laughs> nine different dbs recorded at least 17 and a half tackles but only four of them played in all 12 games the zips fell from 40th to 102nd in passing snp plus uh it was the same situation on the d-line where their d tackles Top three D tackles missed six, three, three, and two games apiece. S&P uh, rushing defense fell from 21st in 2015 to 107th uh, last year. So that pretty much encapsulates um, how having good MAC talent can translate to good results, but there's no depth or quality of depth there to uh, sustain injuries like they had. And I thought the Mariners were unlucky this year with their injuries. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, so, does does Penn State have any need to fear Akron at all? Uh, I, I honestly, I mean, you, you can build up an opponent as much as you want. Um, I think they do not have anything to fear here. The main thing will be get out of the game without injury, which is always you know something that you're concerned about. But honestly, they need to get some depth guys, reps. You have uncertain situations backing up linebackers. You have uncertain situations at the safety spot. You have uncertain situations maybe at nickel corner. Um, you need your wide receivers and your your second string offensive line quarterback and running backs that need to get work. And it would be awesome if Penn State could go into the locker room at halftime up something like 35 to 6 and you know, give the starters a series or two in the second half, and just let the depth get some much needed experience. You know, um, D end another position where the 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 front line is thin. So it would be great to get a lot of guys a bunch of game reps here. I think the real question is how many reps will preseason Heisman candidate Tommy Stevens get in this game? <laughs> I could see Stevens going something like. 10 for 10 with 88 yards and four touchdowns in the second half. Mm, I agree. And you're forgetting the uh, 95 rushing yards. Yes. Yeah. The legend yeah. Um, of Tommy, the mountain just, it just grows. <laughs> Tommy is actually all good game of Thrones characters wrapped <laughs> into one. Not let's, let's not narrow it down. to one. <laughs> um, so on it's in a similar vein, what does Penn state need to do to win this game? Um, I just think work on execution. Um, you can always get better. Obviously, uh, consistency and efficiency on offense would be a very welcome sight. Um, the, not getting, you know, eliminating the plays, the loss of yards behind the line of scrimmage um, on offense for Barkley and for McSorley, and you know the O line getting some good push. Um, these are the types of things that you want to see uh, in the opening week for a team that is you know riding high expectations now that they um, blew the doors off some people in the second half of the season last year craig that was like the most diplomatic way anyone has ever said show up <laughs> that's, that's really what penn state needs to do is is make sure the, the blue buses make the right turns and like everyone gets off safely no one rolls an ankle on that bottom step but it show up this show up and, and don't look completely out of out of sorts I think just to harp on something 
heart heart might not be the right word there but to add on to something uh craig said about efficiency we've talked a lot or at least a little bit about penn state's need to become a more efficient team this offseason and i know those of you that read bill Connolly's excellent penn state preview this year um, he talked a lot about how teams aren't supposed to be able to be as explosive which with such um poor efficiency and still be as great as Penn State was last year so uh, I think in order to kind of avoid the uh, natural regression that would take place there uh, Penn State's office definitely needs to (laughs) become a lot more efficient and that starts with the offensive line of course which playing against Akron is probably not the best barometer to see what the offense looked like all year, but it definitely would be nice to see them put together some extended drives, maybe not rely on the deep play quite as much in that one. But hey, that might just be me. Who knows? That would be great. That is correct. So assuming that Penn State is able to take care of business against Akron, we move on to week two against Butt... I mean Pitt, I'm sorry. Um... So, we know a good deal about Pitt. We saw them last year. We, I'm, well, none of us live in Pennsylvania, actually, but uh, we know kind of the, we kind of have our finger on the pulse of Penn, of uh, Pennsylvania sports more than other states. So, we know what Pitt is. We know who their players are for the most part. We know what they can do. Um, what do we need to know about Pitt, though, in 2017, Matt? to be able to really analyze this matchup? I think the biggest thing is the offense that was able able to put up 42 points on Penn State a year ago and was really all year pretty explosive. Lost five players. Well, I guess overall, uh, they lost five players on the offensive side of the ball to the draft. Or five players overall with most of those guys going to the offensive side. Uh, Nate, Nate Peterman's gone. He was a draft pick to the Bills in the fifth round. Um, James Conner is gone. He was a Steelers draft pick. And Dorian Johnson, who I'm sure many Penn Staters remember as a one-time Nittany Lion commit, um, was graduated, has graduated as well. Um, but they lost a number of other players in the offensive line. And maybe the biggest loss is Matt Canada. Their uh, offensive coordinator is now in Baton Rouge with Ed Orgeron. Don't tell uh, Indiana fans that. <laughs> that. That would be very disappointing for them, surely. Um but a lot of that that explosiveness that they had last year, um, really led by the offensive line, is gone. Um, and yes, they've recruited better, in a sense. <laughs> you know, better than awful is you know mediocre is better than awful. But um, the talent that is in the pipeline and they're expecting to contribute right away, just is largely unproven and not at all heralded. Um, and then you couple that with a defense that um, probably lost their their most of their productivity, and the area where Penn State's going to look to take advantage of that in the secondary. Yes, they didn't lose a whole lot there, but that secondary was bad a year ago. Um, hurt a little bit by Jordan Whitehead's injury in the Clemson game, but they really struggled all year whether um, Whitehead was in or not. And so they're going to need to take a huge step there if they want to really stay with Penn State. I think, it, one, you saw the early signs of Penn State's second-half team mantra come out against Pitt a year ago. But I think, too, um, you saw Penn State probably start to take advantage of some things 
that were available to them in the passing game a year ago, um, just a little bit later than they needed to, to to win that game. But really, it's it's a transitional year for for Pitt, and um, as as a Penn State Penn State fan, what you want to know is probably that a lot of the names that you heard a lot of a year ago, um, busting open those eight, ten, twelve, fifteen yard runs um, early and often. Those guys are gone, and the guys that are blocking the form are gone. I think Penn State's offense handled the pit defense pretty well after that first quarter, quarter and a half. Um, but the Panthers did their damage last year um, with Connor, with that dominant offensive line, with Peterman, you know, having a knack for making the play when they need it. And those guys are all gone, and um, led by USC grad transfer Max Brown, a former five-star blue chip, everyone in the country wanted him recruit. Um, they have some huge holes to fill. And if, if Max Brown's uh, spring game is any indication, he was something like 13 of 28 or 13 of 30 for maybe like 150 yards and, a t- and one touchdown um, playing most of that game is any indication, then there's a huge leap to take there. Um, he's going to need Kadri Henderson to have a big year. And Kadri uh, Olison are both going to have to really help out um, You know the, the former as a receiver and the, the latter in the bat of the backfield are really going to have to be key for, for Pitt if they want to have any chance against Penn state. Yeah. It's going into the game last year. The common uh, kind of worry for Penn state fans was their Pitt's offensive line. Uh, we, we didn't really know that Pitt's offense was going to be as explosive as it ended up being, but we knew that they had a good offensive line and we, fans were justifiably worried because Penn State's defensive line was very unproven. Um, and that kind of did end up being the downfall in the first half, at least. The second half was a little bit of a different story. And it's funny that, because um, the offense in the second half of that game, while it was foreshadowing for the rest of the season in a way, it also wasn't, I, I without looking at any sort of metric, that was probably the most... Uh, short yardage touchdowns Penn State had in a single game all year so it, it was kind of like uh, a little bit kind of like the evolution of the offense almost even though it took uh, three three or four more weeks for it to really bloom uh, but like you said we we kind of know the names we need to know for Pitt we know Jordan Whitehead we know Max Brown <clears throat> and as excited as some Pitt fans may be about a former five-star quarterback it's he's a former five-star quarterback that's transferring for a reason now Sam Darnold's very good so it's not a completely normal situation but quarterbacks who transfer transfer for a reason it's kind of like Rutgers last year with um uh, what was his name? Hayden Reddick, I believe it was. Uh, the LSU transfer, who was a four-star, I believe. They were very excited about it, and they ended up being not very good. It's you got to remember that these guys transfer for a reason. So while some of them end up being great, guys like Russell Wilson at Wisconsin, um, it, there definitely needs to be some hesitation before they just jump all in on those guys. Um, so, Matt, should Penn State fear Pitt this year? I think you fear them because whether Penn State fans or the Penn State staff or um, any number of other people want to admit it or not, it's a rivalry game. And, um, you know, what's the saying? Throughout the records when these teams meet, I'm not sure it's it's that, that extreme, I think, between being at home and just having a huge talent advantage um, and experience advantage this year that they didn't have a year ago. Um, 
th- there's a level of fear you have just because Pitt is is a ACC team. Um, whether I want to admit it or not, they're pretty well coached. Um, they might have a cartoon character coaching them, but he knows what he's doing to some degree. Um, but I don't think this is this is certainly not last year's game where you're going on the road. Um, it was Pitt's Super Bowl. It was everyone in uh, you know every Pitt alum, every fan looking forward to that game, having it circled for for really years in advance. Um, I don't think there's that level of hype that will surround the game this year. Um, And I think the other reason is Penn State knows that that's the game a year ago that probably more than anything cost them a shot to play for a national championship in the playoff. Um, We can look at the Michigan game all we want, and losing by 39 points um, isn't good. But if Penn State beats Pitt, they are probably in the playoff over Ohio State or or Washington just based on having – a similar or having an identical record, having the, the championship, having the head to head. The pit game is really the one that caused Penn State that chance. So you know that really for by the time they meet, 52 weeks to the day, this is a game that everyone of note on the Penn State sideline has circled, will be ready for. And then you add into the fact that this is the first time Penn State's hosted pit since uh, I believe the 1999 season, um, you know, almost 20 years. There's a lot of fans, uh, especially the, the older fans that remember when this game really did mean something, you know, on a national scale and more had more of a, it, an impact on the season, whether it was bowl games or rankings or what have you. Um, there's going to be a lot of fans in that stadium that grew up hating Pitt, went to school when they played every year and are going to be ready because they've had this game circled like the Pitt fans did a year ago since the series was announced. So I think... All those things combined um, really make it, you know, a three of ten, a five of ten, whatever you want to call it, as far as a fear level. Um, Penn State, don't get me wrong, is going to be ready to play this game. They can't just show up and expect to win. Um, but I think for all those reasons I mentioned, there isn't a huge um, level of we can play well and still not win this game. I think if they play well, they're going to win the game going away. It's just one of those. Let's not get too high. Let's not shoot ourselves in the foot. Let's not take this game for granted because we know we're better. Let's show up, work hard, do what we're supposed to do, and make a statement. Yeah, and you have to imagine guys like Lamont Wade, C.J. Thorpe, Miles Sanders, uh, those Pittsburgh area kids all have had this game circled as well. And uh, well, hopefully, uh, it's very unlikely we see Thorpe, especially that early in the season, but. Hopefully, uh, we'll get to see Lamont Wade and Miles Sanders get a chance to do some damage against them. Uh, <clears throat> so, Matt, what does Penn State need to do to win this game, then? I think I kind of unintentionally just touched on it, but... Um, I, I know you did, I know you did, but I want <laughs> you to explicitly touch on it. I will, I will more than explicitly touch it. I think it's, it's show up, um, more than to show up against Akron. But show up with with that business like attitude that we know we're better than this team. We're going to show how much better than than them we are. Um, I think you had on a, on a great point with all the Western PA kids. Um, so many of them recruited by Pitt. Um, you know, Lamont Wade might be the most infamous one based on the social media interactions over the last year or so. Um, but there's a lot of guys on the Penn State team that were recruited heavily by Pitt. Felt some pressure probably locally from friends and family to stay closer to home, um, ended up at Penn State. Um, there's certainly a number of kids in the pit team 
that grew up, you know, playing high school football, hoping to get that Penn State offer that never came. So I think there's that chip on their shoulder attitude. That's probably might be the most dangerous part of of Pitt is they're gonna, you know, come in, they're gonna hear all the hype, they're gonna see the, the point spread that's 14, 17 points. Um, so I think it's it's important for Penn State to um, not overlook the th- overlook Pitt, obviously, but also to show up, um, execute the game plan. Um, don't turn the ball over. Um, hit those big plays um, and really limit the opportunities that Pitt's going to have um, to you know bust those big runs, whatever it might be. Just you know, I, there's only so many ways I can say it, I guess, but just show up and execute. Um, because if they do that, they're they're better at virtually every position on the field. And if they if you do that, then you're you're going to win the game. And I think like we've talked about quite a bit, um, you know, behind the scenes. I think if they do that and they and they play to their capabilities, I don't think it's a very close game. I think it could be one of those games that, uh, um, you know, it turns into a laugher um, by the third or fourth quarter. I agree with everything you said except for um, pit recruits being kids that grew up wanting to go to Penn State because that's not true. They all grew up wanting to go to Pitt and were all courted by the best (laughs) programs across the country but decided to stay home in Pittsburgh anyway. Litzburg. (laughs) Litzburg 18. Let's get it! Uh, So yeah, Akron, Pitt should be two wins to open the season for Penn State. Uh, Obviously we don't know for sure yet, but we will come back to them as we get closer to the season. Um, Despite the fact that we are doing these schedule preview shows now, um, in the week leading up to the each game, Bill and I will, of course, continue to do our in-depth preview of each game. So we will revisit these two teams um, in, uh, it's not even that far away now, just about a month and a half or so. So look forward to that. Moving on, though, Penn State hosted a big event this weekend. They hosted the Lash Bash, the annual recruiting extravaganza that has begun to, I mean, what, last year I believe there were three commits that came out of it. The year before, I think there were at least three. This year, Penn State walked away with five commits um, as a result of the weekend all coming on... Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. The first being defensive tackle uh, slash defensive end slash high school tight end Judge Culpepper from Florida. The Gavel next bang, being, baby. <laughs> providing Roar Lions Roar headlines for the next five years. Um, <laughs> next up was quarterback Will Levis from Ken, uh, Connecticut, not Kentucky, from Connecticut, followed by uh, athlete uh, Shaquan Anderson Butts, uh, listed some places as wide receiver, but all reports seem to indicate that Penn State's looking at him more as a pure athlete. Then there was a surprise one, kind of. A, not a surprise if you read subscription sites necessarily, but uh, there was kicker um, Jake Pinnegar. We found out on Twitter that it is vinegar just with a P, so Jake Pinnegar. And then capping off the weekend on Sunday was wide receiver... Or wait, oh, was this... That wasn't today, was it? Yeah. So that was yeah, that was last night. Yeah, yeah. Was a wide receiver, four-star wide receiver out of Maryland, Daniel George, somebody who Penn State fans have been hearing a lot about for some time, and he's kind of been on commit watch for a few months now, almost. Um, decided to finally pull the trigger after visiting for the event. So we're not going to spend 
a ton of time on this because we're going to keep this to a little bit of a shorter podcast, but we're just going to talk quickly about each guy. Um, and I'm, I don't really know how much Craig knows about these guys. I know Matt and myself know a little more since we, um, are two of the main recruiting writers on the site, but Craig does do our, uh, for the future updates as well. So we're going to test him and see how much he knows about yes. these guys as well. So Craig, let's start with, uh, judge Culpepper. What do you know about the judge? <laughs> Uh, his dad played in the NFL. He's from Florida. Um, he does not object. He always sustains. And oh my uh, God, <laughs> how many puns can we fit in the podcast? Um, they've been after this. You, kid. you don't want to play that game. I uh, no. They've been after this kid for a while. And yeah, you know, to be honest, for a guy whose offer sheet or, or who is a three star, his offer sheet, at least reported offers. It's pretty outstanding. Um, just hold on. I'm pulling it up right now. Uh, while while I've do been... that, I, I believe it was Bruce Feldman who tweeted um, how important of a get he thought this was for Penn State because there's, I believe, LSU was on him. Uh, obviously, I believe Florida was on him, although if you believe Florida um, message board posters, they actually didn't want him. That's why they didn't get him. Uh, of but, course. yeah, there, there, were some, there were some high-profile schools going after him. And I think obviously you want to see the recruit from Florida. That's a, a no-brainer. Um, I, I got to tell you, another a, a big chunk of the Big Ten had offers out to him as well: Indiana, Maryland, Michigan, Michigan State, Minnesota, Nebraska, um, Purdue, Wisconsin. So to be able to pull a kid that isn't local um, comes in, feels, understands what you're going for, has basically can stay south can stay home if he wants to has the pedigree with the nfl family um to be able to snag him and he's one of these guys you know matt mentioned it in the slack earlier today that he may have the the body type for a defensive end right now but he also has the frame to grow into a d tackle if that's how he matures and that's the type of guy that these that james franklin has been recruiting you know you can point to um Buckholtz, you can point to. Um, oh my God, I'm blanking. Our other Davis? redshirt freshman. No, a redshirt oh, freshman. Uh, um, Daniel Joseph. Yep, yeah, Daniel Joseph. I almost said Daniel George, but he's the wideout. Um, but these are the types of guys that they're recruiting that can play inside if they have to, or swing outside. Just give them the versatility um, to have an impact somewhere on the team, however their body develops going forward. So, pretty cool signing, I, I have to say. Yeah, and I wrote a post talking about kind of what Penn State is getting in Culpepper, and if you watch his highlight tape, it's pretty interesting. They they line him up all over the place. He lines up as a nose tackle. He lines up as a, a 4-3 end. He lines up as the 3-4 end. So he's kind of all over the place. He has experience playing pretty much every position you could play on the defensive line. It would seem that he's best destined for defensive tackle, where I likened him to kind of a um, Geno Atkins type maybe a little bit of Calias Campbell uh, <clears throat> just because he ha- he has great speed, he has the strength, he has the size. He could be a pretty intimidating pass rusher in the middle or if he continues to fill out he could, I mean, he could be an unstoppable space eater in the middle. So uh, there's a lot of different directions that could go with that and it's just that versatility helps keep things 
fluid for this Penn State class with other defensive line guys on the board like P.J. Mustafer, um, most likely a defensive tackle, Aeneas Hawkins, a defensive tackle. Then you have Jason Owe as a defensive end. Tyreek Smith could be either an and or a tackle. Uh, should Micah Parsons find his way back here, he's an and or a linebacker. So having that versatility is definitely key for this class when no one's really quite sure how many players will actually end up in it. So being able to flip a guy between two different styles of defensive tackle or even put him out on the edge is definitely important. Uh, Matt, what do you, how about Will Levis? The guy who has the unenviable position of uh, filling Justin Fields spot in this class what should Penn State fans know about Levis, Levi's? However, I'm going to call him Will Levi's. Yeah, that we know how to pronounce the kicker's name, but we don't know the quarterback's name. That's something that we probably need to figure out. So, as our crack uh, recruiting expert, I'm putting you on that, Nick. Um, as far as as what is Penn State getting, what should they expect? Um, one thing I think is always pretty telling is when a staff sees a guy up close and decides to offer. Um, especially at the quarterback position, because every team has kind of a different idea of what they're looking for. And Will Levis, Le- Levi's, Levis, the, the, the new quarterback, Levi's. Is, is a guy that camped North Carolina, got an offer, camped at Iowa, got an offer, camped at Florida State in front of arguably the best quarterback head coach in the country and Jimbo Fisher, and got an offer there. Um, and from everything that we know, those are offers that were legit with the possible exception of Florida State waiting on our good friend Justin Fields to make a decision. So I think that's pretty telling. And obviously he came to Penn State um, on Friday night, got his offer then, um, or out of that camp and committed you know, within about 12 hours on Saturday morning. Um, so I think that tells you a lot. Um, and this is a staff that identified Justin Fields, who's now the number one recruit in the country, um, when he was a relative unknown as well about this time a year ago. So Joe Moorhead, James Franklin, Ricky Ronnie, the rest of the offensive staff has a pretty good eye of what they're looking for at the quarterback position. And they obviously saw it um, because we've, we've heard some talk. We've even talked amongst ourselves that possibly the staff kind of waiting out this 2017 season and going to let the offense speak for itself and see what that does for attracting a, a quarterback for the 2018 class. Um, they obviously were confident enough to, in what they saw on, on Friday night to abandon those plans. If that was something they, they were actually considering, um, and just, you know, they found their guy and and they're, they're calling it there. Um, watching his tape, watching his highlights from that camp on, on Saturday or Friday, and then watching what, or seeing what Steve Wiltfong wrote over on 247, shortly after he committed, um, he certainly looks the part of the classic drop back, standing in the pocket, throwing the ball over the field quarterback. He's an athletic kid. He's I think he ran a four six five is what Steve reported um, at the camp on on Friday night. I'd seen four seven five four eight um, at other spots um, around the, the web. Um, I saw he ran a four oh nine forty or a shuttle, which means so many different things to this fan base. Um, <laughs> but a lot of numbers that are very, very impressive just from a sheer athletic standpoint. You watch his, his highlight film from his high school. He doesn't do, look to run from a design run or, or run pass option concept very often. Um, he's more of a use his legs, use, a, use his athleticism to buy his time, buy time to, to throw the ball. He, he impresses me with how well he keeps his eye down, eyes downfield when he's on the move like that. But I think... Um, you have have a great ball of clay to work with here 
from a, a Joe Moorhead coaching standpoint where you've got a great athlete to work with and you can teach them the concepts of, of the run pass option. You can teach them how to, to run that the more run focused parts of the, the quarterback position in this Penn State offense. Um, but in, and then you add on his ability that's very evident to, to throw the ball very well. He's got a very strong arm. Um, I think it's um, and it's, it's not a guy that obviously you're going to expect to play right away. You've got Trace McSorley um, for his first year on campus. Trace will be a senior next year after Will signs. And then you've got Tommy Stevens. You've got Jake Zembeck. You've got Sean Clifford. Um, so it's not a guy you're going to expect to have to come in here and do a whole lot right away so he can you know, learn the offense, you know, grow into that big frame. And um, you know, by the time he's, he's expected to be competing for a backup spot or a starting spot, spot he spent two or three years on campus. He knows what he's what he's doing. He knows the offense, and um, and he's ready to go from there. I think we're all very much looking forward to hearing about preseason Heisman candidate Will uh, Levis Levis Levi's when uh, he is the backup quarterback, just like our friend Tommy Stevens. I think we're all <laughs> I think we're all ready for that. Um, I'll talk I'm about the next one. Oh yeah, why not? So next up is Shaquan Anderson Butts, and I'll take this one. Uh, he is somebody who is a pretty interesting kind of case study in recruiting um, because initially he seemed like he was destined for Penn State all the way, um, really didn't. I mean, there was some word of him taking visits elsewhere and some other schools that could be an issue, but he really seemed destined to be in any line. Fell out of favor for a while. Uh, looked like he may go to Florida at one point, and now he's obviously circled back and committed to Penn State. So the initial reaction to for a lot of Penn State fans, because he's friends with Micah Parsons, because they go to the same school, a lot of people have been saying, oh, this means Parsons is coming back. It does not necessarily mean that, though. Um, Anderson Butts is committed to Penn State because he is a good football player. A lot of people kind of forgot that he was invited to the Under Armour All-America game, and he was invited to that game for a reason. He's a very talented, talented player. Um, whether he ends up as a wide receiver or defensive back, he's just got a ton of athleticism. He is an awesome ball of clay for Josh Gaddis or for Tim Banks to work with. And no matter what ends up happening with teammates or friends of his, Penn State has to be happy to have him on board and I, for one, am really excited to see where he ends up on the field because he is an exceptional athlete, and it's going to be really fun to watch him play football when he gets on the field. Um, Matt, let, let, let's go to you for the next one. Um, tell us a little bit about our new kicker of the future. Uh, well, it's kind of a surprise, like you said, said at the top, that um, Penn State's even looking for a kicker because obviously... It was just uh, in the class of 2017 that they took Alex Barbier. Is that right? 2017? Am I getting the right class? No. Um, no, he was. That's right. It was 2016. 2016 he was my, my how time flies. Um, so yeah, that that was the whole Quinn Nordine airplane commit video. Jim Harbaugh I'm sleeping in his sister's home, bedroom with her not in there. Tell the world um, that, that I'm whole home. Are you done? I can be. <laughs> Please do be. Um, so, so Alex Barbier signed in 2016. He was a redshirt freshman a year ago, um, and we did not see him because Joey Julius um, was effective kicking the ball off, and Tyler Davis is unable to miss kicks that go past the line of scrimmage anymore. So, obviously, there wasn't a spot for him. 
Um, and so I, the fact that there is a scholarship kicker on the, on the roster um, probably caught a lot of us by surprise that Penn State took Jake Pinniger um, from uh, Iowa over the weekend. But I think the important thing to note here is he's another kid they've seen kick in person twice. Um, he camped at one at the satellite camp in Northern Illinois um, earlier this summer. He was invited to camp this past weekend. Um, and he's clearly someone they they enjoyed, um, or they they uh, enjoyed seeing kick. He he has what they're looking for. He's the number thirteen ranked kicker in Cole's kicking, which is one of a couple of uh, kicking recruiting services out there. Yes, that is a thing that exists on the internet. And they are glorious. <laughs> they are they are full of all sorts of kicking factoids. So I will I will plug Cole's kicking free of charge here for them. Um, he's also, according to 247, a all-state defensive back. He's a standout soccer player, and he finished sixth in the wonderful state of Iowa in the 110-meter hurdles. So what does it all mean? It pen- means that Penn State might have the most athletic kicker in the country when he shows up on campus next year. Um, what this means for um, Alex Barbier or Jolie Julius, um, we'll probably we'll have to wait to find out with that. Tyler Davis, of course, is a fifth-year senior this year, so he will be using his last year of eligibility. So there will be some uncertainty for Penn State going into next year in the kicking game, the place kicking game. Our our lovely kicking son, Blake Gillikin, still has three more years of eligibility counting this coming fall, so we don't have to worry there. Um, but I th- it's interesting just to from a, uh, a point that they – you don't often see a team carry two scholarship kickers. So I think something's probably going to give here. Um, you would think just looking at the numbers, looking how this Penn state class is going to close out um, to use a spot on a kicker when you've got one already in the roster. Um, I think that's something to keep our eye on here, um, both leading into the season and probably more likely after the season to see kind of where, where all these, these moving parts end up. And then the final commit of the weekend so far, at least there's, um, Ashim well, Young is announcing his commitment on Tuesday. There was word that there was going to be another commitment um, tonight. We're, we're recording on a Monday, but that has not happened yet, so it looks like it may not be the case. Um, but committing on Sunday was four-star wide receiver Daniel George from Oxon Hill, Maryland. Um, Oxon, Oxon, it's, it's Maryland. Oxon. It's Maryland. Oxon. Oxon. Okay. Oxon, sure. Um, Craig, tell us sure. about Daniel George. Well, um, as you said, Oxon Hill, Maryland, uh, we have Daniel George is a six, one and a half, 200 pound wide out. And he's four star been in contact with Penn state for a long time. Uh, he visited in junior day, February of 2015, uh, saw a bunch of offers pile up that summer. Um, but then came back after the season was, um, a Penn State offer in December after the Big Ten Championship game and came back to Penn State for the big junior day um, in February and an avalanche of crystal balls on 24-7 sports went his way, including you and Matt, I will point out. Um, so it just seemed kind of like a matter of time um, before George was part of this class and you know, he took his time a little bit um, and a couple more offers sprinkled in, but nothing enough to uh, sway his interest. Um, it seemed to be solid in the Nittany Lions. And so he ends the killer weekend for the Lash Bash, which has become now, I have to, I would put it on par 
with Ohio State's Friday Night Lights, you know, the event that um, Florida does uh, with the national recruiting, it's talked, it's being talked about, it's drawing interest from kids all over the place. And um, we see the, the fruits of the labor that um, James Franklin and his staff has put in, you know, and kudos to Josh Gaddis for identifying another um, playmaking wide receiver early and staying on him. And it just, you know, the Mid-Atlantic has become our home territory for uh, Penn State recruiting. I think it's really important that, you know, Penn State gets guys out of the Maryland, Virginia, D.C. area every year to go along with Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey, um, starting to get into Ohio and when we can the South. But um, yeah, Daniel George, a great cherry on top of the weekend and um, looking for big things from him. I, I don't know that He's a next year, um, you know, we kind of have this feeling that Justin Shorter, top 10 player in the country now, according to 24-7, is a guy that's going to play as a freshman, can't keep a five-star off the field. Um, it'll, it'll be a wait and see with George to see if he's competing next year. But just depth, talent, this explosive offense is continuing to um, get guys interested uh, that are game breakers and... Uh, just to recap his ranking there, he's um, in the composite, he's a little bit lower, 207th overall on 24-7, but their individual ranking has him at 186, the number 30 wide out in the nation, and the number 8 player in the state of Maryland, which, you know, Maryland's loaded every year. So a really, a really nice um, get for Josh Gaddis and James Franklin. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, like you said, it was... I I think it is fair to put Lash Bash in that kind of that Friday Night Lights category of recruiting weekends. Uh, I with off the top of my head, I don't know for sure. I'd have to go back and look, but this seemed like it may have been one of the more talent-packed groups that they've been able to convince to come out for this weekend. Um, so, I mean, props to the coach and staff for pulling that off. It, but I was just on the phone with uh, Jesse Lucetta just a little bit before and. He was telling me about how awesome it was and how great of a time everyone seemed to have. So kudos to the staff for putting together a truly uh, outstanding event and something that a lot of these guys that are in attendance really seem to um, remember and something that sticks with them. So uh, good on them for that. And really quick, we can talk about uh, Ashim Young before we do um, I guess two, two quick Twitter questions at the end here. Um, so Ashim Young, safety. Uh, from oh, what school does he play for now? Imotep. Imotep Institute? Yes. Imotep, Imotep Charter. Charter Institute in Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, so he's long been a pri- priority Penn State target. Uh, he's one of my personal favorites in the class. Seeing him play in person is an absolute joy. Um, and he kind of falls into the category that Penn State is kind of starting to corner the market on, which is really talented football players who get knocked on the recruiting services for their size. Last year is Lamont Wade. This year, Ricky Slade. All right, Ricky Slade, even being ranked as on the composite, he's the number 25 player in the country. He honestly might be better than that, but he's only 5'9", so he gets knocked a little bit there. I know, uh, I think think it was somebody i think it was barton simmons for 247 sports somebody tweeted at him asking why he wasn't higher uh and he said it's because he didn't see him as a three down back which i'm sure but a lot of the three down backs for for the record i don't think curtis samuel was a three down back and he he seemed to turn out just fine 
Yeah, and especially with recruiting, it's. A, I a I don't understand the how the how the running back MVP from the opening, the, the best of the best in the country, Ricky Slate was the running back MVP at the opening finals earlier this month, is the 80th ranked player on 247. So try and try and figure that one out. Yeah, and as a, as a service, 247 seems to knock guys for size a little more than the others do. So. Um, I, it, that's why I hasn't heard his composite score as much because other services do have him ranked higher. Um, but yeah, so he he's a really really good football player. But Ashim um, Young kind of falls in that same category. If he was a little bigger, he'd probably be. Uh, I know Bill said a few weeks ago he'd probably be a top 100 or 30. He might even be a top 50. He's unbelievably talented. He plays an excellent excellent center field as a deep safety. I watched him at the uh, New Jersey opening camp, the regional regional camp, and he was everywhere. He was picking off passes left and right. He was getting in guys' way deep downfield. He was outstanding. And uh, he is set to drop his commitment video, which was filmed at a pool party at his yes. house <laughs> last week. And that is set to drop tomorrow, tomorrow being Tuesday, so probably today as you're listening to this. Um, I've seen 2 o'clock, and I heard from Luketa that it was 4 o'clock, but I don't he, know exactly where. He tweeted in, 2 o'clock. Okay, I don't know exactly where in Canada... I don't know what time zone Luketa is in up there, so he's, maybe he's that's an Ottawa explains. guy, so I think yeah. he's Eastern time. So I don't know. It's maybe I like metric time or something. I don't, I don't know. know where Ottawa is. Come on, I don't. I don't know where anything in Canada. All I know no, is Nick, that Nick, do you know where Canada is? All I know is that Vancouver is near Seattle, and I know that Toronto is nowhere near Seattle, which makes it even more frustrating that. Toronto Blue Jays fans feel a need to fill Safeco Field when the Blue Jays visit. Um, they go everywhere. You probably have people from Vancouver. Toronto's like oh, like yeah. Canada's baseball team. It's kind there's of a, no. A there is no re like. There's <sighs> this is not the time or place for this conversation. So I'm gonna let it go. Take um, a deep breath, Nick. So yeah, Ashim Young uh, committing tomorrow Tuesday. Um, all signs point to the choice being Penn State would be an excellent pickup. Um, Matt or Craig, do you have anything that you feel prevalent to say about Ashim Young and about what he could bring to this class? Nick, I think you, you kind of stole my thunder. If if I was asked to contribute, I was going to say what you said just from a matter he's he's a hell of a football player. Um, I think he's he's taken a bit of a hit in the rankings this summer because he's not the biggest guy. Um, but as far as high school safeties that know how to play the position and have the tools to play it. He checks every box other than size. And um, I, if that's where you're going to knock him on, then and you're, you're searching. Then for you better knock down something. Earl Thomas too. <laughs> Get out of here. Size don't matter, baby. So that, 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 that's my two cents on, on Mr. Young, who I think it, at this time tomorrow night, um, as we're recording this, will be uh, will be the twentieth, twenty first, depending on if if our mystery recruit from the night happens to drop a a commitment between now and two o'clock. Um, but he he will be um, a Nittany Lion commit by this time tomorrow night. Craig, anything to add? I'm excited. Excellent. Me too, Craig. Um, I guess last little bit of news here, since we are live and this just happened, we can report that. Uh, cornerback Jalen Green from Houston, Texas, um, included Penn State in his top five, which is um, 
a little bit of surprise, I guess. It's uh, he. We kind of knew he liked Penn State, maybe not top five liked him enough, but by all accounts, he's probably going to Texas, but um, you can see the very clear growth of the Penn State recruiting brand with already two defensive backs from Texas committed and Isaiah Humphreys and Trent Gordon, and they're clearly on the mind of others like Jalen Green, so great for Penn State there. Uh, the last thing we'll do here, we got two Twitter questions, three, but we're going <laughs> to, four, no, oh no, that's you asking. We got three. We're going to ignore one of them. And we're going to start with Doug's question, our dear, dear Doug. He said, what do you think of Ed Sheeran's cameo? So for those of you that do not watch Game of Thrones, uh, Ed Sheeran made an appearance as a Lannister soldier briefly singing a song and offering Arya Stark a charred rabbit to eat. Um, I was disappointed that he did not die, that it... That being said, the door is still open for Arya to cut his throat in the next episode, so um, we're good there. Oh, wait. Craig, do you watch Game of Thrones? Yeah. Okay, we all watched it, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) That that wasn't at all awkward, Nick. Good job. (laughs) I I mean, I guess at that point I might as well just kept... Not that it was a spoiler, but... um, Yeah, so I I was disappointed... it was a little bit of fan service that they actually had him sing and didn't have him die right away. Um, but, I mean, it was fine. Ed Sheeran is the whatever. So- the song was nice. He doesn't look like a knight in any way, shape, or form, but whatever. It's fine. I, I didn't know which one was Ed Sheeran because I am, like, the most not-with-it person when it comes to, to music and who sings what and certainly what anyone other than, like, three people that everyone knows look like. Um, but but he, he sang well. And uh, apparently he got so much negative feedback that he deleted his Twitter account today. So so there you go. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> the only reason I know what he looks like is because he was the musical guest on Saturday Night Live, which I don't ever watch, but for some reason, I think it was a special episode or somebody, somebody cool or funny or something was on. But he was on there and I saw him for the first time. I was like, wow, that's not what I expected you to look like at all. You're ugly. But... Um, <laughs> moving on the second question um is from bill and he said do you miss me i do not miss you bill matt do you miss bill who's bill craig do you miss bill um do i know bill no exactly all right yeah sorry bill we're actually uh, yeah i think we're gonna just kick bill off the podcast from now and we're just gonna go with us uh for the foreseeable future uh yeah yeah i think that's a good plan we can bill solid Bill can stick with uh, hosting the Hoops Pod, um, and maybe he can maybe he can dabble into hosting a wrestling pod with Rob. Since re- if you didn't know, wrestling runs uh, runs RoarLinesRoar.com. So keep click click keep keep mashing that Nick Seriano content. It's always going to be there for you. Yeah, yeah. Rob <laughs> Rob runs the blog now. We we've all used he's used to usurp power. We've all we've all abdicated our thrones to, to Rob. He's he's the captain now. It's it's very true. Um, do you guys have anything else to add? Any other topics that came up this week you want to talk about real quick? Tutties. Always. Always tutties. Always. And uh, just for everyone out there, we are 299 likes away from 16,000 on our Facebook page. So if you haven't, uh, we've seen an explosion this week. Appreciate all the uh, great feedback that we're getting. If you haven't liked us on Facebook, followed us on Twitter, go ahead and mash that like slash follow button. And, yeah. and stay tuned for for our next podcast where we break down the uh, the 2017 
through 2019 Heisman Trophy winner. Yes. Tony Stevens. Yes. The beginning of an era, as some would say. <laughs> um, it's really myself, a shame he didn't win it last year. I think he got screwed. <laughs> this is true. He definitely got overlooked, for sure. <laughs> that is very true. A lot, a lot of voters like to go off of things like uh, passing yards and touchdowns and quarterback rating, attempts, games, games played. Yeah, uh, those they're just thinking. They're thinking inside the box. We need some more outside the box <laughs> thinking voters yes. because out of all the possible options, Tommy was clearly, clearly the most experienced, the most deserving. Um, but it's okay. They can write their wrong and uh, choose him this year when we see a finalist ceremony of Tommy Stevens, Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley, and Marcus Allen. It'll be a good time. And I, Mike Kosicki will probably get an invite too. I don't know. That might It'll be the first first ever shared Heisman Trophy. I think. Yes. Yes. It'll be a foot. Mm, so they'll somehow create like a Cerebus of the current of the existing trophy. They'll give it like five heads. And award it to the team as a whole. Okay, this has gotten weird. <clears throat> For myself, actually, well, first let me tell you where you can find us. You can find Roar Lions Radio um, at Apple Podcasts, the new name, still getting used to it. You can find us over on SoundCloud, where we are originally posted. You can find us on Overcast. You can find us on Google Play. The links to all of those things will be in the description of the post on the website for this episode. Um, as always, please visit our store and buy a few shirts. They're unbelievably comfortable, and I believe we'll be coming out with a new shirt or two in the next month or so. Um, <clears throat> and keep in mind that we are not Amazon, so if you do want a shirt from us before the season begins, you do need to go ahead and order those pretty quickly um, because the turnaround takes a little bit. Um, we need to they get made custom for us, and they get sent to our executive headquarters, <coughs> Chris's house, <coughs> uh, where he needs to package them himself and send them out. So it does take a little bit of time. So if you're looking for a shirt before the season, please place an order early so we can get that to you. Um, but other than that, for myself, Nick Pollock, uh, joined again by Matt DeBear and Craig Fritz. Thanks for listening, and go State!